please join with me um, for the Old Testament reading, which is Jeremiah chapter 9, um, and it's on page 699 of the Church Bibles. If my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night over the slain of my dear people. If only I had a traveller's lodging place in the wilderness, I would abandon my people and depart from them, for they are all adulterers, a solemn assembly of treacherous people. They bent their tongues like their bows. Lies and not faithfulness prevail in the land, for they proceed from one evil to another, and they do not take me into account. This is the Lord's declaration. Everyone has to be on guard against his friend. Don't trust any brother, for every brother will certainly deceive, and every friend spreads slander. Each one betrays his friend. No one tells the truth. They have taught with their tongues to speak lies, and they wear themselves out doing wrong. You live in a world of deception. In the deception, they refuse to know me. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says. I'm about to refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my dear people? Their tongues are deadly arrows. They speak deception. With his mouth, a man speaks peaceably with his friend, but inwardly he sets up an ambush. Should I not punish them for these things? This is the Lord's declaration. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? The New Testament reading tonight is Acts 4.32 to Acts 5.16. Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, He kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. There was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said. For that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, 
the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all those who heard these things. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, 6.45, can I say this is a real, real honour. If you haven't met me before, my name is Scott, and I am a lay preacher at uh, Church by the Bridge. Let's kick off by honouring our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as uh, we sit before you tonight, we pray, Lord, that we, uh, we just give you glory for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can sit under your word, that we can listen to your word, hear your word and be transformed by your word. We just pray, Lord, as a church, that we can come out here tonight transformed so we can obey your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, 6.45, have you heard the latest celebrity scandal. Apparently, Justin Bieber has become a pastor. Now, I don't know about you, but my first reaction is, are you kidding? Is he even a Christian? But according to online news sites, Biebs has spent the last couple of months training to become a pastor with a Pentecostal church in the United States. Now, can you imagine if he was our pastor here at Church by the Bridge? There'd be ticket scalpers. There'd be queues coming into this church and all around the block. Our youth groups would be full. And the moment that he stepped up to the pulpit, I'm sure that there would be this rush of teenage girls all to the front row here. They'd be screaming and crying, going, we love you, Jesus Bieber. Well, if you think the world has gone completely bonkers, rest assured, it's not true. It's the internet had lasted for a day, that rumour. His church has come out and said, it's all rubbish. We're all safe in church, even if our ears aren't. But what would happen if the rumour was true? What would happen if he did preach? Could you actually believe anything that he said? Why not? He's a Christian, or so he tells us. It's because when we turn on the nightly news, we occasionally see him there, don't we? Usually, you know, a mugshot of him taken in some US police station after he's done something completely stupid, allegedly with some... A substance. His public life doesn't match his private life. He says one thing, 
but he does another. Now, it's a little bit unfair of me to pick on Justin because we're all sinners and we all occasionally say one thing but do another. And I was reminded of this last week when I was at work and I worked for a newspaper. I was reminded of my own faults when I was sitting down with our features editor and we were talking about a politician with a particularly colourful and shady past. I jokingly just said, I think the world would be better off if he was dead. And the features editor just turned to me and said, that's not very Christian of you, is it? And he's right. We're called as Christians to love our neighbours as we love ourselves and not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our lips. And here I was, speaking filth. My private life didn't match my public life. And so it got me thinking about church. Why is it so important that our private lives must match our public lives? Why must we love love Jesus privately in our quiet times, but also publicly love him when we're around other people? Well, tonight's passage helps answer that question. It paints a picture of two very different churches, a church built on honesty and a church built on hypocrisy. A church built on honesty and a church built on hypocrisy. So let's look at both of those churches. They'll be our two headings tonight. First up, a church built on honesty. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been studying the book book of Acts, which records the early history of the church. It's an amazing time of miracles and transformation. As we've seen, Jerusalem is in upheaval. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The lame are leaping to their feet. The gospel is being preached in dozens of languages and thousands of people are giving their lives to Jesus. They are saying that he is Lord and Saviour. There's a real excitement around the place. And as we've just heard in our reading, verses 32 to 35, it tells us that thousands of believers are working together and loving one another to grow God's kingdom. The Holy Spirit is bringing them together with one heart and one mind. Look at your Bibles with me at verse 32. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, and instead they held everything in common. Their homes, their clothes, their money, their time and their energy are no longer their own. What's mine is yours. Nothing in the Bible orders them to do this. These guys are doing it because they want to. Their lives are renewed. They've been transformed by Christ. Grace is driving them. The Holy Spirit is with them and within them. They are building a new community, not based on money or status, but with Jesus as their foundation. And it's not what they're giving that matters. Verses 34 and 35. It's because they see a need. People need something 
And the family of believers provide that need. Can you imagine if that was happening right now? It would be like handing over our car keys to a believer, a brother and sister, whose car's broken down. It would be like paying the electricity bill of a family of five who have no more money to pay that bill. Or it would be like us going home tonight and cleaning our junk rooms, getting rid of all the rubbish and opening up that bedroom and giving it to a student or somebody who hasn't got a job at the moment. Now, wouldn't you want to be part of a community like that? Well, we are. It's happening right here in Church by the Bridge. We have meal rosters for new parents. People cook for their Bible study. People volunteer for kids' church. We drive our brothers and sisters home. We do that with Dennis and Carol. We help out at James Milson and Greenway. Some of us give legal advice for free for people who can't afford it. And there's at least one brother at this, this church who takes a real risk and opens up his house to the homeless and lets them stay all in the name of Jesus. Do you think most of us would be doing that before we became Christians? Let's be honest, probably not. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in this church, in each one of us. We have been saved by Jesus' grace and we want to share that grace with each other and the wider community. But our physical needs aren't our only needs, are they? Look with me at verse 36. Who are we introduced to? A man called Barnabas, who's the model of generosity. He sells a field and hands over the money to the apostles. But what else do we know about Barnabas, who we'll learn about over in the next couple of weeks as we go through Acts? He brings St. Paul before the apostles when no one else would have a bar of him. Then he supports Paul in his ministry as they go preaching throughout the, throughout the Mediterranean. Now that's the kind of mate you want, isn't it? That's the kind of Christian you want, sitting beside you tonight in this church, somebody who's always looking out for you. And the clue's in his name, isn't it? What does 36 tell us? What does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. He encourages the church through his wealth, but he also encourages fellowship, his love of his fellow man. He meets its physical needs and also its emotional needs. The two go hand in hand. Because if all our church does is just meet our physical needs, then we're just building a veneer. We're just building the walls of a church. It's the family inside a church that brings it all together, that builds a home. And one of the most important ways we can bond as a family is by being honest with each other. Honest people are a united people. We build trust, we keep each other accountable, and we meet each other's needs, don't we? I learned this the hard way a few years back here in this congregation, when I was going through a tough time, I uh, fell in love with a girl, but she broke my heart. And uh, I kept all the pain to myself. I refused to tell anyone 
that I was really, really hurting. At first I thought I could hold it all in, but soon it became clear that my pain was like that really old uh, horror movie, The Blob. The pain started oozing out of my mouth, it started oozing out of my eyes, it started oozing out of my face. And my friends started to, to uh, worry because I was skipping church. Then a wise and godly pastor confronted me and asked me what was wrong. And what was my answer? Typical man, nothing. He said, I don't believe you. By now, my pain is oozing out of my eyes. I'm crying and I need someone to talk to, but I also don't want to be seen as a Christian low on faith. So I said, something is wrong, but, but, but you can't help me. Then he gave me some simple but piercing advice. You're right. I can't help you because I'm not a mind reader. He wanted me to be honest with him. He wanted me to be honest with myself. He wanted me to stop pretending that everything is okay. To stop pretending that I'm a super Christian, that I'm bulletproof, because I'm not. No one in this room is perfect. None of us are super Christians. There's no way of putting on an act because the truth is sometimes the Christian life is hard. Why is it important to be honest in our private lives as well as our public lives? Because it allows us to help each other. We become like living human thermometers. We can check each other's spiritual temperature, see if we need prayer or encouragement, or let's be honest, just a really good laugh. It allows us to obey Jesus' command in John 13, 34. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. Okay, so let's rewind the clock back to 6.30 tonight. You get out of your car, you come up to the church, you meet one of the welcomers, and hopefully we get your name right, and then the question is, hi, how are you? How do you normally respond? Good? And then you meet in, you bump into somebody you know or one of your friends and they ask you, how have you been? And your answer is, good. And then you come into church and we sing and we pray and then we have that awkward five-minute, you know, meet and greet time where we're normally against near somebody who's kind of freaking us out because we don't really know them. And then they ask, how's your week been? And what do we normally say? Good. It's such an empty, empty answer, isn't it? And I'm guilty of it. Uh, last, so last year, realizing this, I decided to, uh, to change the answer. I decided not to answer the, with the word good. I wanted to see what people's reaction was, uh, reactions were if I gave an honest answer instead. Hi, how are you? <sighs> Exhausted. Broken. Or... Blessed by the Lord, actually, I've had a great week. 
And you know what? I had some of the greatest and honest conversations that I've had for a long time. And I had people wanting to pray for me. Our family here wanted to pitch in and encourage me. So tonight at supper or even next Sunday, can I encourage you when somebody asks you, how are you? Be honest. Say, you know what? I'm struggling with my faith and I feel God is far from me. Is there someone I can talk to? And hopefully one of us will say, friend, let's go over there and let's pray. Or you might say, God has been amazing. He's taught me so much this week. And people will want to know why, so they too can learn from you. Or you might take a risk and say, I feel so alone. I keep on coming into this church and I feel like I don't have a friend in the world. And I pray and I know there will be people who will bring you into their lives and love you. There is a need. We need Jesus and we need each other. Again, wouldn't you love to be a part of a church like that? A church built on honesty. How much more would we be like Jesus? Indeed, how much more would the rest of the world be attracted to this church if this church is like Jesus? Now, as we've been reading about the early church in Acts, I'm wondering if you're thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. Why isn't our 21st century church like this first century church? Everything's fantastic. There's growth and boldness and blessing. But why doesn't that look like any church I've ever been to? What happened? Well, Acts 5, the second half of our reading, records the sad reality that the church is messy and sinful because it's filled with sinful and messy people like me and you. Which brings us to our second heading, a church built on hypocrisy. If Barnabas is a model of generosity, then come Acts 5 verse 1, we're introduced to his complete opposites, Ananias and Sapphira. Now this husband and wife team are part of the church. Whether they are full converts or just seekers, it's not clear. But they would have seen other Christians handing over their, their possessions to the apostles. At some point, Ananias wants a piece of the action, and verse 4 tells us he had a plan. What is that plan? Verse 1, to sell a piece of property, but verse 2, to keep back some of the money that they'd earmarked for the church. He then gets his wife in on the act, and then he lays the money at the feet of the apostles in a very public display of generosity. Now remember, they don't have to sell anything. Donations are an act of grace. They are purely voluntary to help Christians in need. But do you see the problem here? Ananias and Sapphira are the ones who are needy. And can you spot what that need is? 
praise. The praise and respect of men. They want the whole church to see them as a generous people when actually they're selfish and vain. And we have a word for these kind of people, don't we? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I, whenever I hear that word, I just cringe. Enemies of the church just love pointing the finger at us when they catch one of us saying one thing but doing another. Christian hypocrites. Why would they want to be a Christian when they see people in the church fighting or stealing or committing adultery or in the worst cases, abusing children? And it's a point made by Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of the great evangelist Billy Graham, who met a student from India called Pashi. Pashi was told the story of the gospel, but he didn't want to give his life to Jesus. I would love, I would like to believe in Jesus, he said. We of India would like to believe in Christ, but we have never seen a Christian who was like Christ. I hope that breaks your heart like it does mine. We know from our own lives, we know from this church, that there are so many great acts every day, every hour, every week, every month, every year, that Christians do. But it takes one act of hypocrisy to turn somebody away from Christ. Now, I should make something very clear. There's a difference between being a sinner and being a hypocrite. A sinner is someone who is brutally honest about their sinfulness before the Lord. You hate sin. You constantly war against your sinful nature with the help of the Holy Spirit. A hypocrite is two-faced, a fraud, a counterfeiter, a deceiver, and an imposter. The word hypocrite itself means a stage actor or a play actor. Hypocrites play the part of Christians, but privately they're anything but. Oh, they'll get on their knees, but they have nothing to confess. Why? Because they've surrendered to their sinfulness. They, they feed their sinfulness. They're not honest about their sinfulness. And here in this passage, Ananias and Sapphira are not honest about their sinfulness. They're spiritual fakes, they're spiritual imposters. And the sad thing is, if they'd only been honest, if they'd only been real with themselves and with God, they would have lived. Think about all the chances that they've had to turn away from the sin from their sin. First, Ananias has a plan. He could have thrown it in the, in the bin the moment it popped into his head. Then Ananias gets his wife involved. He could have asked her to help him against temptation, or she could have told him straight away, no. Then Ananias goes and sells the land. Every step of the way, he could have turned around and gone home, 
Or as he jingled that coin bag in his hand, he could have said, you know what, keep it, I've changed my mind. Even on the day that he appears before the apostles, Ananias could have confessed to Peter that he's given into temptation. And verse 8, Sapphira could have admitted her own guilt rather than acting the part of a generous Christian. Why do they keep on doing it? Why do they keep on pretending? Why, as Christians, do we feel the need to impress other Christians? Surely it's what God thinks of us that matters, not men. And we already know what God thinks about us. His son, Jesus, died on a cross for us. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. Now, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is that they want the world and God's kingdom. They want the world and God's kingdom. And let's be honest. Those seeds are in my heart and they're in your heart. We seek the love of God but we also seek the love of people. We love Jesus, but we also love the pleasures of the world. But we can't have both. And I've seen how damaging these seeds can be when they're allowed to grow. A few years back, I've been here for seven years, one of my friends used to come to this very congregation He'd sit in those very, very back rows on that side every week. He's an intelligent, handsome, interesting guy. He sang with us to the Lord. He prayed with us to the Lord and he came into our homes. Then one day he just stopped coming to church. When I caught up with him and asked why, he said it was because church by the bridge is all head and no heart. And the longer I listened to him, the more I realized what he really was saying was, your Bible teaching is against my lifestyle. He was dating a non-believer. And he was also sleeping with her. When I warned him that the Bible says sex is only for marriage, he answered, well, I believe that we're married. We're married in our hearts. His public church life didn't match his private life. He wanted the world and God, but the world was tearing him apart, tearing him away from God. Sin had gripped his heart to the the point that he no longer was honest with himself. And believe me, brothers and sisters, one of the most most important lessons I've ever learnt in my 25 years as a Christian is that if you are not honest with yourself, you cannot be honest with God. Now, when we have Christian hypocrites among us, do you see the dangers? One, you cannot trust anything this person says. Or two, you say to yourself, well, if they're sinning, then so can I. Hypocrisy deceives the church or it spreads throughout the church like mould. 
It starts as a few spots here and there, but soon it makes a whole lot of people sick. And the only way to deal with hypocrisy is to scrub it completely clean. You can't keep on covering it up. You need to confess. You need to be honest with Jesus and say that you've been a fraud. You need to find a trusted senior Christian or a pastor. And we all know, as people of the Bible, Jesus himself saw firsthand in Jerusalem how hypocrites can hurt his people. He took on a whole temple of them, didn't he? And how much did he love exposing the hypocrites? What did he call them? Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Now compare them to what God says in Proverbs 24. He who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. A dead man's lips are diseased. The lips of an honest man bring joy. God loves truth because he is truth. It's it's part of his very essence. His word is truth. His laws are truth. He saves us by truth. He sanctifies us with truth. He delights in truth. He builds his church on truth and, and honesty, and he expects us to live honest lives. Pick up your Bible again. We're going to flick to left. Turn to page 976. 976. Find John 1, 14. John 1, 14. What does it say? The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now turn a few pages to the right to John 15.1. It's on page 994. Page 994, John 15.1. What does Jesus say about himself in John 15.1? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And that's what God does with Ananias and Sapphira. He sees them planting a big black poisonous tree of lies and hypocrisy in his new church so he has no choice but to remove them immediately. He sends a clear warning to his people how much he hates hypocrisy, which is the same warning we're receiving tonight. Now when our hypocrisy is exposed, we're not normally struck down in such amazing circumstances. And believe me, that's a sure sign of Jesus' grace thanks to the blood of Jesus. But don't be fooled, we will be accountable to God one day. And that's our last lesson from our passage. When we're hypocrites, are we only just lying to men? Listen to the righteous anger in Peter's voice in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? 
Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Let me put it from another way, from God's perspective. Ananias, are you kidding me? You swapped my goodness for the devil? I never demanded that land from you, but you sold it to win the favour of men? And then you lied to me. The same God who created you, who died for you and now lives inside of you, the same God who knows the hearts and minds of men and judges them, how did you ever think you would get away with it? Peter even goes as far as accusing Ananias and Sapphira in verse 9 of putting the Holy Spirit to the test. And when we hear this, a big red light should come on in our heads. When Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, what does Jesus say? Do not test the Lord your God. Jesus' kingdom is built on truth. Satan's kingdom is built on deceit. Jesus' church is built on honesty. Satan's church is built on hypocrisy. So let's finish up by looking at one last verse. John 14, 6. Again, what does Jesus say about himself? John 14, 6. I am the way, the, the truth and the life. If we honestly believe that and we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, then we need to be the walking, talking embodiment of our Lord and Saviour. We're in a personal relationship. We need to speak honestly and live honestly all the time, whether it's at church or work, or sport, or parties, or in the home, or in the bedroom. Why? Because we model Christ to each other and to the world. And if we build our lives on honesty, then we build our church on honesty. We honour Jesus, we glorify him, we obey him, and we attract other people to him. Now, wouldn't you love to be part of a church like that? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've we've heard some very uh, tough words. Light has been shone into our own lives. We just pray, Lord, for your forgiveness at the times that we are more than sinners, but when we are also hypocrites. Help us change, Lord. Scrub us clean. Scrub the church clean. Let us be honest with each other. Find those needs in our hearts, Lord, and put the right people with us. With your help, Lord God Almighty, build here a church of honesty, both publicly and privately, so we're one heart and one mind in honouring the one God forever and ever. Amen.